0: We are in a series, Isaiah, Isaiah 45 through 47, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to Isaiah 45. That's where we'll spend the majority of our time this morning. (coughs) Wake up. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get going. Father God, we all come with different burdens and and different... um, thoughts, Lord different sin that we struggle with, uh, different relationships that have been hard. Um, we come here this morning to hear from you, Lord, not a preacher, not a pastor. we want to hear from you this morning. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would take the word of God and, and apply it to the word of, uh, to the people of God in a way that is just ointment for our wounds and the ways that we are hurting, Uh, in a way that is encouraging to us, empowering to us, equipping for us. Even, Lord, challenging. We need to be challenged. God, I pray you'd challenge us this morning in this text. Holy Spirit, come and shape us and help us and teach us, we pray in his name. Amen. Okay, uh, when I was in school, there was something that we were taught when we were studying the Bible. It's called double listening, okay? So double listening, when you want to understand what the Bible is, if you really want to understand what the Bible is saying, You have to put yourself into the shoes or the sandals of the original listeners, and you have to listen to the text as they would have understood it back in their context. That's the first listening. The second listening is kind of like us 2,000 years later, in this case, almost 3,000 years, listening in on that conversation from afar and saying, like, well, if that's true, what's true today? the best way of, uh, like, describing what this double listening is like is the other day. So, uh, last weekend, uh, Julie and I celebrated 22 years of marriage. So, like, good for her. No. Great for me. Good for her. Great for me. Uh, Okay, so double listening is like this. Julie's on the phone with her friend and saying, yeah, yep. Yeah, in two weeks. Yep. 22 years, I know, gosh, time is going by. Now, what she's saying to the original audience is like, yeah, it's coming up, we're so excited, can't believe it's been 22 years celebration, right? That's the original listening. My listening, as I'm listening in from the other room, is like, oh man, I gotta plan something. (laughs) That's what double listening is. So I'm gonna spend a lot of time in the text talking about like how would they, what are they experiencing in this moment? Okay? What are they hearing from God in this moment? we got to do a little bit of work to do the double listening to say, like, all right, what does that mean for us today? I'm confident you guys can do this. <coughs> I think we need a button that when I, like, put my hand here, the button gets pushed, and you silence my cough. I'm going to start, even though we're going to spend our time in Isaiah, I'm going to start in Acts 4 this morning. Peter, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. The Jesus revolution has begun. And he spent over a month teaching people the Scriptures, all about how everything was pointing to him. And then he told his disciples to meet him in Galilee, and he says, I'm going away. You're going to be my witnesses. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I I have commanded. He launches his disciples, and he says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back, okay? They They go to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit falls on this room power, signs, different languages, like there is a, a, an evidence of God's power that is just dropped into a room. And uh, that Holy Spirit continues to work through these apostles. In, in Acts 4, there's a man that was born with legs that didn't work. He was born lame. And he was 40 years old. And this man was now walking around telling people that he was healed. And everybody's freaking out, you can imagine, You're like, well, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. It didn't happen back then. So would you freak out today? Yes, they were freaking out back then. And they said, what power did you use to heal this man? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit and boldness and wisdom and truth, he stands up. And he says, I want you to know that Jesus is the Messiah that God promised. And you crucified him. But he is risen from the dead. And it's his power that has healed this man today. And then he says this I want everyone in this room to know. You can imagine a room like this, Peter standing up. I want everyone in this room to know that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He has this huge platform, amazing miracle. What is he going to say? Jesus rose from the dead, he's the Messiah. He is the only one that can save us. There's no one else. There's no other name. We just sang it, and we sang Son of Man. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one can come to the Father except through me. And we go, it's so exclusive. Here's what I want you to say it's for the nations. We're going to see on the text today that God wants everyone to know that He is the only God, and besides Him, there is no other. But He has given us one rescue plan, and His name is Jesus Christ. All right, I want, I'm going to fly through some verses in, in 45. I'm just going to call out the verse. You guys can look down there. I'm in the NIV. I think we'll have it popped up here. Um, verse 5 of 45.5 in Isaiah. I am the Lord, there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Verse 6. So that from the rising of the sun, that's the east, to the place of its setting, that's the west, everyone in between east and west may know that there is no one besides me. I'm the Lord, there is no other. Verse 14. They bow down before you and they plead with you saying, Surely God is with you, and there is no other. There is no other God. Verse 18, for this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, that he is God, Who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited. And that Lord, the one that created everything, said, I am the Lord, there is no other. There is one God, there is no other. And he has offered his one son, and there is no other way to the Father. Jesus stands before us as the one begotten Son and he is offering life to everyone. But there is one way and that's through Jesus. Verse 21, there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a savior God. There's none but me. Turn to me, all the nations, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Now, I'm going to give us a Bible reading tip, okay? Uh, When I was in seventh grade, I had uh, a small group leader in my youth group. His name was Juice Brown. (laughs) Dude, Juice Brown could 360 dunk, and this guy was like 5'10", and he had like a mullet with a flat top and curly hair, and I thought he was the coolest. I went to Mojave Middle School in kind of the South Scottsdale area. And after school, I'd go to practice, whether whatever, it was flag football, it was basketball, it was football. And after, on Tuesdays, I would walk down to a place called Casella's Deli. If you're ever in, you know, like right around McDonald and Hayden, you need to go to Casella's Deli. Got to, I'd get a sandwich, my little seventh grade self, go down there. Back then, it was maybe three bucks, get a sub, and then I would go across the street to Juice Brown's house. He was in college, and uh, he lived upstairs at his parents' house, and me and maybe a five other of my friends, we would go up there and he would open up the Bible and he would tell us how to read it. And I can remember, like this stuck with me. He said, "I want you to read the text. We'd all read it." He's like, I want you to read it again and circle every word that you feel like comes up a lot. Like if it comes up twice, I want you to circle it. And I want you to read it again. I want you to underline all the ideas, the main ideas, okay? And then I want you to look at all the circles, all the things that keep coming up again and again and again, and I want you to write down what do you think the main idea is. I swear, I learned that in seventh grade, and I still use it today. And I used it on this passage, and let me tell you, I am the Lord, there is no other, was circled 11 times. Okay? If somebody says, truly, truly, that means like, hey, really pay attention. God doesn't want you to miss this. If somebody says, holy, 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 says it three times, that's like, wow. When this gets said 11 times by the prophet, you anchor your sermon in that text. There is one God, there is no other. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, I know that's not necessarily a popular view. I, I actually, uh, when I go to get my hair cut, I always make it a point. I'm like, I'm just, I pray, Lord, put me in the right chair. I want to have a conversation about faith, okay? <laughs> I think I'm probably about 80%. I think I'm batting about 80%. No one has actually come to the church. No one has come to Christ yet, but we have great conversations. Okay, so this last time I went, it goes something like this uh, What are you doing this weekend? And it's always, well, Saturday, hang out with the family, probably do some yard work, you know. Uh, Sunday, I got a full day at church. I'm excited. We worship in, in the morning, and then I have youth at night. Oh, you go to church. Yeah, what church do you go to? Oh, Redemption Church. Yeah, we're over here. Um, do you have any faith? you have a faith background where you raised in a church or anything like that? <clears throat> and then the rest of the time, they're explaining kind of their philosophy on what happens when we die, who's in charge of the world, what are the right values, and they just kind of go on, and I just ask questions, and I ask questions, I ask questions, I look for the opportunity. Where can I encourage them where I think they're getting close, and where are the ways that I think that I can, like, bring truth to that? So, we're having this great conversation. I'm paying the person at the end. There's a long line out the door, and, and she had just kind of unpacked her whole philosophy. And she goes, you know what, though? I think as long as we're just devoted to what we believe individually, I think we're all going to end up in the same place. And I'm like, I'm looking around at the crowd. <laughs> like, do I just let that slide? I'm studying Isaiah 45 right now. That's not true. And I said hey, I really understand why people want to believe that. And I paid her and I walked out and I'm like, okay, I have to sit in her chair again because there is a long discussion that we need to have. The discussion I want to have, you guys could pray for me that I actually have this discussion, okay? The discussion I want to have is, what if it's like this? What if there's a flood coming? And uh, someone announces that there's a flood coming, and there's a motorcycle, and there's a snowboard, and there's a skateboard, and a boat. And you're like, you know what? Choose whatever you want. And somebody goes, hey, as long as I'm devoted, I'm getting on the snowmobile. I've watched some YouTubes where those things go 100 miles an hour, and they skip off the top of the And and fully devoted throttle, 100 miles an hour, flood comes and just gets demolished. Guy in the motorcycle grabs it, full throttle, outrun this thing, and the flood overtakes him. The skateboard, well, let's just say if you're choosing the skateboard, you're dumb. (laughs) And then someone gets in the boat and is like, oh, this works, this works. What if it works like that? You could, be, you could choose something and be fully devoted to it, but if it can't help you with a flood and a flood is coming, it's no good. Now, we know there's no flood coming. God's been clear about that. He's not going to do that. But there is something coming. Death, we know this. Death is coming for all of us. Is there a vehicle that can beat death? Death. There's someone who has beat death. He is the one we devote our lives to. He is the one that we put our faith into. And that's what this is about. There's not a flood coming to Babylon, but in 45, there is something headed towards Babylon. And listen to it who it is. It's 45 verse 1. Here we go. This is what the Lord says to his anointed. He's choosing Cyrus. This is a pagan king in Persia. He says to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations. God, this picture is like, I'm going to use this pagan king to go do stuff in the world. Subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open up doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and I will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. If you just picture this in your head, God is coming towards the superpower. The empire at this time is Babylon. And God has said, I'm coming, I'm using this king, and I am busting down the doors. I am cutting through your iron gates. There is nothing that can stop me from doing what I choose to do. This is a terrifying scene. There's a flood headed towards Babylon, and his name is Cyrus, and he does not even know God, but God is using him. It says, empowering him and strengthening him and equipping him for battle so that Cyrus will accomplish what God's will is. He's going to take down the superpower. Babylon's days are numbered. Why? He lists us. He gives The prophet gives us three reasons. I want you to look at verse 3. It says... Number one, so that you, Cyrus, may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel. All right, why is this significant? If we live back then, here's our listening. We got to listen as they would have listened, okay? It was a polytheistic kind of age. Everyone, every had their their own God, their patron God of Israel, the patron God of Babylon. So if Cyrus comes and defeats the superpower amongst the talk of the town, who is the best God? Cyrus is God, right? That's how it works. God is saying, I'm telling you what I'm going to do so that when all of this happens, you do not give credit to your God. You're going to know that it's the God of Israel that is the most, the strongest, the empire-defeating God. So he says, the first thing is, I want you to know, Cyrus, you don't even know who I am. Let me introduce myself. I'm the God of Israel. The second thing is, in verse 4, he says this, I'm going to do this for the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen. I summon you by name and bestow on you the title of honor though you don't even acknowledge me. He he says that's the second reason I'm going to do what I'm about to do is because Babylon has my people and I've married myself to those people. My whole mission on this earth is dependent on those people and Babylon's got them. So what Cyrus is about to do is for the sake of Israel. Now why is this important and why in the world is Israel enslaved again? If you know the purpose of Israel, and by the way, when they say Jacob and Israel, Jacob's name is Israel, so those are kind of interchangeable in the text. It's the same thing. Jacob is the person, changes his name to Israel. That's the people, okay? God has chosen Israel to be his people. He's married himself or covenanted himself in a relation with, relationship with them where he promises to be their God and do good for them always, to pour blessing on them, and that blessing will then be used to go throughout the whole world. God's mission that he is 100% committed to is to take his salvation, righteousness, and justice, the peace that comes from God and God alone, and to go through Israel to the nations from the moment this marriage happened in Genesis 12 that was the plan for Israel. So if you can imagine, Israel, this small tribe, under the loving guidance and blessing of the one true God grows to be this beautiful, just, righteous nation where love abounds, truth, everyone is treated with dignity, their crops are the best, Their culture is the best. Their music is the best. Their food is the best. Their crops are the best. And the plan is that the nations would see, wow, that's what it looks like to live for Yahweh. That's amazing. And the scriptures say it would be like a river going uphill. We know rivers go downhill, but rivers go uphill. And it's not water that's going to Jerusalem. It's the nations that are drawn to the beauty and the justice and the righteousness and the goodness and the light of Jerusalem so that the nations would meet God and they would learn his ways and they would flow out to every corner of the earth and bring his will upon the earth throughout the earth. Man, you got chosen for that. Sometimes we talk about, oh, chosen, it means like, you go to heaven, you don't. You go to heaven... No, chosen is always, you're anointed for a purpose. I'm going to use you. What are we going to use Israel for? To save the world, these people. And some people are seeing Israel in slavery would say, Israel's God's a joke. I mean, if he had any kind of strength, his people wouldn't be in slavery. But what God is doing in slavery in Babylon is this, he sent him there. Because the truth is, Israel did not become the righteous nation. In fact, there's a lot in these three chapters where it says, like, they are a joke. They've rebelled against God. They've forgotten God. They didn't follow his ways. And it was compared to, like, now instead of this beautiful city on a hill, he says, you guys are like that storage shed in the, uh, in the farm out there on the vineyard. That's not my plan for Israel. Israel. So in the same way that metal, when it's like heated up, all the impurities come to the top, right? And you have a more purified metal, gold. He says, I'm going to purify you through suffering. I'm taking you to Babylon, and you're going to be in captivity there. And through your suffering, I'm going to get all the idols out of you, and I'm going to bring you back, a more purified people. Why? Because God is 100% committed to his mission And when Israel stands in the way, he's going to discipline Israel. And when Babylon mistreats his people, he sends Cyrus. Cyrus is coming to defeat the Babylonians and to free God's people. There's a history lesson. The last thing in verse 6, it says, why is he going to do this? Why is Cyrus coming? So that from the rising of the sun and the place of its setting, that's from east, and west, east to west. Okay? All of us, your address, no matter where you're at, is between east and west. Somebody asked about the North Pole. Not sure how that works. But I think the point is, every so that, everyone would know there's no one besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other God. He's going to take down the superpower. When the flood shows up, okay. when God shows up, there's always two experiences. And in this text, there's two experiences. Let me explain this. There's a good experience. Like when we who've wrapped our lives around God and He is the foundation of our life, when He shows up, Yes. Amen. Shower down your salvation. Shower earth. Open up and receive your righteousness like rain and let shalom like come up like a crop and flourish the earth. This is like the language of those that have wrapped their lives in faith in God. And then there's those that have ignored God, mocked God, and warred, um, uh, warred against God. Those that have put their faith and trust in in objects and false gods, there's that experience. Here's the two experiences. You ready? 45, verse 7. He says, I form light and I create darkness. Two experiences. I bring prosperity and I, I bring disaster. Verse, uh, verse 8. Your heavens above. Here it is. Rain down my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Righteousness flourish with the earth. A restored earth. Thank you, Lord, for healing our wounds, restoring justice and righteousness. Here's the other one. But woe to those who quarrel with our Maker. Those who are nothing but like broken pieces of pottery. They're nothing but pot, pot shards. Among pot sherds, among people that are just broken pots, and they're just sitting on the ground. Do those things say to the potter, what are you making? And mocks him? Like the potter has no hands? Here's what he's saying. There's those that are gonna experience when God shows up a salvation that is exhilaration, exhilarating and like world like cosmic restoration and healing. And there's those that have like, as the created people have mocked the creator. Well, if I was God, imagine. Imagine people that would say, if I were God, I wouldn't do that. If I were God, this is what i do. I don't like your God. My God, you ever heard that? My God would never do that. My God over here is a God that I have made up. My God is a man-made God. My God has no power and there is a bad experience coming when the flood of God's presence shows up in Babylon. All those makers of gods, all those makers of idols will be put to shame and disgrace. All of those in Israel will be saved by the Lord. You guys know the, uh, the term mama bear, Right? Sometimes I think that is used for like moms behaving badly and losing their cool. It's like as long as they're like defending their children, they can lose their cool. And then there's like sometimes where I'm like, yeah, mama bear just protected her cub, and that was legit. (laughs) The father is kind of mama bearing it right now. He's coming for his kids. And when he gets there, you want to be one of his kids. Because if you're one of the ones that's against his kids, it's going to end badly. Now, chapter 46 and 47, these are the last texts that we're going to look at. 46 is this, a conversation with those having the good experience. 47 is this, a conversation that God is having with the Babylonians. Are you ready? What is the good experience? What is the bad experience? This is what it looks like. Let's look at chapter 46. Turn your page. Verse 1. The Baal, (coughs) it's their idol. The Baal bows down. Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts, like being carried by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, the burden of the weary. They stoop and they bow down together. Unable to rescue the burden, they themselves go off into captivity. Here's the deal God is talking to Israel, and there is a parade out of Babylon. Now, this is a superpower, okay? This is a superpower, and they are like, remember when Saddam Hussein, some of you that are a little bit older, that statue of him came down? The statues in Babylon are coming down, and God says to Israel, look, their gods are bowing down to me. And then they put them on animals, and they put them on their shoulders, and this is a heavy burden. And God goes, look, When I show up, their gods can't help them. And look at their straining. They made those gods. They made them up. And now it is a heavy burden to them. He's watching the the parade. And like a good parent, I feel like my parents did this all the time. Watch that. See what's happening. This is how you don't let that happen to you. See what's happening there. See how good that is. This is how you make that happen. This is the conversation where God is fathering Israel. Look at their idols bowing down. Now, I'm going to do some double listening, and you're going to get really uncomfortable. We are the superpower, right? We're the Babylon. So if I think like, wow, he just took down a superpower, and their idols are bowing down to him, here's the deal. When God shows up, like I just have this picture of like the ideals of America and the liberties that we enjoy when we have wrapped our lives around that is our hope and we watch the statue of liberty being lowered down and being carried off in humiliation some of you have put your hope in our country's prosperity and when God shows up, look at I'm all for prospering. Holy cow, yes, I want prospering. And I am all for being an American. Our hope, our idol cannot be this country, its ideals. Because when God shows up, this country will bow to the King of Kings like everybody else and that you know little statue of the bull that's outside the New York Stock Exchange it's going to bow the markets foreign and domestic won't be able to save you on the day that the lord arrives the idol will bow your elephant will bow your donkey will bow your eagle will bow the tanks and the stealth bombers will bow these images that give us hope, and security. If you wrap your life around those, your house, your car, your kids' trophies are going to bow. Those little rings that my kids won at the club baseball tournaments, bow. (laughs) All right? Uh, All the way in the parade of humiliation because there is the true King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he has shown up. And those that have wrapped... (laughs) those of you that will have wrapped your life around the hope of Jesus Christ and he is the sovereign of the Lord, the day of the Lord is going to be beautiful and exhilarating and some of you are going to be shocked in a part of a humiliation. When God goes, that eagle could not save them now. It's powerless today. Real power has shown up. Now listen, We're a government for the people, by the people, and I think we should, that is us, participate in politics, participate in voting and government. I'm telling you, like, Statue of Liberty, I love liberties. But we cannot, have not these things become the burdens of our lives that we wash our hands? I can't tell you, every coffee shop I go to to prepare for a sermon or study anything is a bunch of men sitting around and they are panicking about what the world what's happening to the world. Their idols are failing and they're freaking out. And I just want to be like, guys, that's not you don't have to be afraid. There is one Lord, there is one God. Wrap your life around him, build your foundation on him. You don't have to be afraid. He's coming and when he comes and you're his kid, there is no more shame and humiliation. There's exhilaration. He's talking to Israel, and he goes, are you going to compare me to them? Look at verse 5. Who are you going to compare me to? Who's my equal? They pour out gold, give it to a goldsmith, make it into a god, and then they bow down and worship it. They write a document, and then they worship it. They build a statue, and they worship it. They lift it on their shoulders, and they carry it, and these things have become a burden Your cars, your houses, your kids' success and grade cards and behaviors and your politics and is my team winning has become a burden. He says, look, they're carrying their man-made idols. And he says this, I was not made by you. I made you and I am carrying you. I carry you. You don't carry me. I am the God, there is no other. I am the God, there is none like me. You can't compare me to anybody. I make known the, be- the end from the beginning. I know it all. From ancient times to what's to come. And my purpose will always be accomplished. What I've said, I'll bring about. What I've planned, I will do. He says this. I've carried you since you were born, Israel. Israel. And I will carry you into your old age until your hair is gray. And I will sustain you. And I've made you. And I will carry you. I will sustain you, again he says, and I will rescue you. He is a good father. Our idols that we pour our lives into become a burden. What do you stress about at night? What are you laying up worrying about? This is probably the burden of idolatry. Turn to the Lord and be saved. Put your trust in him. You will not be let down. The second conversation that's happening over on this side is Babylonians. Now, I'm just going to read this. You tell me with some double listening. You ready? The prophet says to the Babylonians, go down, sit in the dust, virgin daughter Babylon. Sit in the ground, without a throne, queen city of the Babylonians. No more will you be called tender and delicate. Take millstones and grind flour, take off your veil, lift up your skirt and bare your legs, wade through the streams. Your nakedness will be exposed and your shame uncovered. I will take vengeance. I will spare no one. The Redeemer, the Lord Almighty is the name. Let me introduce myself. I'm the holy one of Israel, sit in silence, go into darkness, queen city of the Babylonians. No more will you be called the queen of kingdoms. I was angry with my people and I sent them into your captivity so that they would be refined and purified, but you've showed them no mercy. Even the old people you've laid a heavy yoke, but you didn't think about the consequences that would come through that. Now you listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there is no one else besides me. None can touch us. We're the superpower. I'll never be a widow or suffer loss of children. Both these will overtake you in a moment. On a single day, they will come upon you in full measure. In spite of your many sorceries and your prophets and your spells, you've trusted in wickedness And you've said, no one sees me, no one can touch me. Your wisdom and your knowledge mislead you. When you say to yourself, I am, and there's none but me, disaster will come upon you, and you will not know how to conjure it away. Keep on with your magic spells, then. Maybe you'll succeed. Perhaps you'll succeed. All the counsel you've received has done nothing but wear you out. Let your astrologers come forward. Bring them. Let the stargazers that make predictions month by month, let them come too. They can't save themselves from the flood. And there's no one that can save you now. Jesus showed up. He said, blessed are those. But woe to you. There are two experiences. God has given us a boat. Death is coming. Judgment is coming. That's the deal. And God wants everyone. He desires that none would perish, but all would be saved. There is one salvation. My barber, my neighbor, needs to know Jesus is the only way. He is the mechanism that has beat death. He is the one that's come through Israel, that is taking the blessing and taking it to the nations. He offers it to you this morning. Do you know him? Or do you know about him? Do you know about him, but wrap your lives in the same idols of the world to where we are almost indistinguishable? between us and our neighbor. The Lord is coming. Jesus is returning. I'm going to save the Jesus moment for our communion time. I'm just going to pray. Let's let's just sit in silence for a sec. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to take communion. But let's pray. To the Holy One of Israel, the father who carries his children into old age. Lord, we repent. We're worn out of the burden of carrying these man-made ideas, of putting our hope in documents and statues and ideals. Lord, we're grateful for the goodness of this country. I do not want to be ungrateful. I'm thankful, Lord, for the liberty lord for our ancestors who have paid a price but our hope is not here our hope is in you lord and for whatever way we've rebelled against you and worshiped these things lord this morning is a time of repentance it's repentance but it's also a time of freedom from slavery from captivity to Babylon. God, usher us out of here into the freedom. Deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of the beloved Son. Idols are tricky, and Lord, sometimes I don't see them, we don't see them, and we need to point them out to each other. Lord, I pray for courage and honesty and love and compassion as we help one another discover, Lord, the areas that are not in allegiance to you. Heal us. Forgive us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.